0: on 702 for the curious on 92.7 and
1: 106 fm nicholas bauer with you until 6 a.m until Bungani bingwa and the breakfast team take over it's 702 for the curious lines are always open 011-883-0702 you can kick it old school on the sms line 31702 and you can also uh, send us a whatsapp voice note please whatsapp voice notes i'd like to hear your voice Zero seven two seven zero two one seven zero two. So we spoke about Blackout Tuesday with Dirk Fisser in our digital feature. Time now to talk about the uh, protests that are exploding across America and around the world, and how focus has now been trained on the protests themselves instead of the reasons people took to these streets in the first place. Roy Gluckman, director at Cohesion Collective. Good morning. Morning, Nick. How are you? So far, so good. So far, so good. The murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis a week ago was not only horrific, but quite predictable, seen as though we've uh, seen instances of this type of thing playing itself out in America uh, every couple of years. The uh, One name that springs to mind has to be Eric Garner, for instance. But uh, news coverage that's followed this real pattern of horror outcry uh, and support, has now moved away from the topic of the killing towards mm. the civilian protests and violent clashes that are now unfolding in American cities. Why yeah. do you think attention has been trained away, and what effect is that having?
0: Sure. So I, I think that there two, the are two reasons. Um, I think that maybe the most, like, egregious, is just the idea of if we can critique the looting, the violence, the aggression, it dismisses the real reason, you know, it it kind of casts the protester in a light that is uncivilized, unreasonable, and therefore not worthy of being listened to. That's probably in in, in its most egregious. I think there's another thing which is a little bit more subtle, but just as dangerous, and that's just really a distraction, right? So... If we can rather spend our time talking about uh, the actions, the reactions, the violence, the looting, we don't actually have to spend the airtime talking about racism, sexism, homophobia, structural racism, violence that exists in our society. So it's, it's either of those or a combination of both, really. Uh,
1: There's one instance where it really isn't a chicken versus egg situation, uh, the racist Killing of George for uh, George Floyd uh, led to these protests. I mean, it, it's it's not the the other way around, right? And uh, when you say that it is diverting people's attention, it doesn't it doesn't stop the fact that it's happening, though. I mean, you have to acknowledge the fact that these protests have yeah. descended into into violence in many instances.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I just think we don't. We don't want to look at the reasons. We don't want to look at the underlying reasons, what, what the death of George Floyd means for us in society, how not uh, the death of George Floyd is, is just um, the eruption of a whole bunch of exclusion that exists in our society. So whether it happened or not, the fact, you know, we, it becomes irrelevant because the time that we want to be or should be talking about structural racism, which is difficult, which is hard, which calls on us to take a look at society, to take a bit of ownership, that sucks, right? We don't want to do that. So, so we'll focus on the, on the looting and the violence. So this is rarely about facts. This is really it's about airtime.
1: Uh, We've seen that in protests the world over, even here in Mm. South Africa, all right? Uh, Service delivery protests haven't become about the reason people took to the streets, not having running water, not having electricity, not Mm -hmm. having regular services from government, but it Mm. becomes a report about the traffic situation due to a service delivery protest, or this has happened, a road is blocked due to a service delivery protest. Why, why, why have we arrived at this point? Why has it now become more about the inconvenience of the middle class listening to the news as opposed to the plight of the people that took to the streets in the first place?
0: Totally. I mean, again, it's all part of the same WhatsApp group. It's all part of the same conversation. So, if we think about Nick, if we think about society, and we can use South African society as consisting of three layers, and, 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 and at our organization, we call this the layer cake model. So the top layer, the factual matrix or the factual layer, the, the things we love to talk about, the things you talk about on your show, on other news channels, on social media, you know, the, the, the facts. You know, so it's, it's F promise, delivery protests, EFS, trashing H&M stores. It is, whatever the case may be, it kind of sits in that factual matrix. And we love to talk about it because it's academic and it's safe and you know that's the space we as South Africans like to sit. But it's underneath the factual matrix, that emotional matrix, and the two dominant emotions in the South African space are undoubtedly anger and fear. But we don't really want to sit and talk about our anger and our fear. It's just too scary. It's just too terrifying. So we're constantly using elements, issues in the factual matrix as vehicles or proxy to talk about our anger and our fear, but never really talking about our anger and our fear, because we're talking boundary distribution, right? But we're not, we're actually using it as a vehicle to try to discuss our anger and our fear. And then underneath the emotional matrix is the space that we rarely refuse to go, of, particularly white South Africans, men, straight people, men, the privileged blood point, and that is our historical matrix. That all of the anger and fear rooted in a history that we want to be distracted from, that we want to remain ignorant too. So part of kind of talking about the traffic and talking about the students' violence and talking about ESS traffic trashing the stores is a much, much, much easier thing for us to do in the factual matrix rather than this is rooted in the history that is alive and well and that influences our behavior and everything that happens in today's society.
1: No. What role do leaders play, not only in yeah. America, but here as well, by not dealing with these underlying causes of a service delivery protest or mm. uh, not dealing, for instance, now in the USA, it's, it's now become about law and order for Donald Trump as opposed to mm. bringing justice to uh, Derek Shaveen, for instance. So what role can leaders play differently? And will they ever? I mean, it, it, to me, at least serves the serves serves the purposes. The 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 ends uh, yeah. the meets the means type type of thing. I mean, yeah. it suits uh, uh, people to be it suits leaders for people to be distracted.
0: Totally, one hundred percent. I mean, I, let's kind of localise it in in this space. You know, so I think that one of the great examples, and I think for your listeners, if if we remember what happened with the and H and M, what was it two three years ago? when uh, H&M posted that advert of a young black boy wearing a hoodie that said coolest monkey in the jungle, racist trope. Anyway, EFF gets angry. They go and they loot and trash certain H&M stores. So, look, I mean, if we think about leadership more broadly, that was a perfect moment for the EFF, not not to kind of bring it in, in, in a party political space, but to open up a discussion around racism, racist portrayals and tropes within the media, the damage of racist tropes in the media on on the building of psychology of minorities, but they didn't really do that. They they, they kind of had that violence. So I think and and that's not to condemn or to condone violence, it's to kind of say the missed opportunity. That let's not spend time critiquing the violence but if we are in a leadership role, if we have space, if we have an audience, how do we Open up the conversation and use the airtime, because there is limited airtime to talk about these things, to talk about the structures of racism that still exist and the behaviors. So, for me, I think from a leadership perspective, is how do we not default to that distraction and how do we just sit with the discomfort of what is? And I think maybe particularly for white people in South Africa. You know, we've all kind of tacitly signed up or signed into, you know, what Melissa Stane called the ignorance contract, that if we can just remain ignorant in the project of unknowing our history, none of us have to do anything about it. So I think what leadership needs to be doing is how do we open up these conversations in a way that also recognizes the anxiety, the fear, the emotions of all people involved. And it's a really difficult and responsible space. And and that's really to start building that sense of social cohesion, that sense of shared responsibility. You know, what can I do given my position of privilege and power? Uh, what, what we would call, how do we repurpose our privilege rather than creating the narratives of shame around it and guilt, which,
1: which often doesn't help us. I'm glad that you brought up the P words. Let's talk about privilege mm. next. If you've just joined us, Roy Gluckman, director at Cohesion Collectives, chatting to us about the George Floyd protests in America are becoming more about the violence on the streets as opposed to the reason people took to the streets in the first place if you have any questions any ideas any thoughts lines are always open 011-883-0702. it's 702 for the curious sms is into 31702 and your whatsapps on 0727021702 uh, anonymous says why do protests in some countries always have to involve looting looting is not part Of most countries, but we see it time and time again. Protest action leads to looting. Why? Roy, you want to take that? Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm going to kind of just impute,
0: and uh, let's, let's kind of maybe think about Hong Kong. Um, so if we look at these two differences between the protest in Hong Kong versus the protest, let's say, South Africa, I think we have to understand the racial undertone of this question. And unfortunately, given the common sense and inverted comments that we've created of, of what a black protester is, we often see the black protester as violent, as wanting to loot, as having ulterior motives, where every other protester is a very civilized process. So we need to understand that even in this question, there's that sense of, but why did they have to go do that when other people can do it? But we need to again go deeper. That's again in that factual matrix. And that in the spaces where we have people looting, there is structural inequality. We have massive, massive, massive class and income differential between the black population and the rest. So for the, protests, the pro- protests in Hong Kong, looting doesn't necessarily become viable because there isn't the deep, deep sense of inequality and of poverty within that space. So looting is really, if you think about it, just an opportunity to mm, maybe soften a bit of the desperation and the exclusion and the lack that societies um, have structured and, and, and exclude black people from having. So I think again, it's not about an essential characteristic of a person or a race group or a country. It is about the structure of who has and who hasn't, and the desperation within that and within that country and within that community.
1: Roy, we can't get uh, away from the fact, though, that this this has resulted in deaths and it has resulted in yeah. violence and it's it's resulted in violent skirmishes between. Yeah. Uh, people trying to protect their, their property and people that have taken yeah. uh, to the streets uh, initially for a very, very noble cause. How do we try and reconcile those two things? Because it's not going to change the fact that, for instance, in St. Louis, a former police captain yeah. uh, was shot dead by people protesting. Yeah. And maybe you know, that's an incorrect characterization. By people looting. He was murdered. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I I
0: think this this is where it gets really tricky, right? And and again, I think it's important that we're not here condoning violence, but that violence sometimes is is the only language. You know, we see this a lot in South Africa. It's really the the only language that we listen to is protest and violence and looting. That's when you get the attention. Um, So there's no condemnation, we we cannot say that that murder is okay and that it's cool. Absolutely not. We need to say that that is not okay um, but again, let, let that not overshadow the, the entire movement. Um, and I think we must also quickly say, because there's a lot of really important videos going around on social media of of kind of the right white, the white right, right wing, you know, inciting a lot of the looting, doing a lot of the breaking down, and of course uh, their own kind of random shots into the crowd. So, so, so this isn't, a, like I said, this isn't a just one group of people creating all the mayhem
1: within the space. Roy Gluckman, director at Cohesion Collective, mm. chatting to us here on Early Breakfast, 702 for the curious. Lines are open, 11 702 Let's talk about that P word now, privilege, yeah, all right, specifically true. white privilege. Uh, I think, okay. you know, it seems a little bit counterintuitive to white mm. guys talking about white privilege to try and change uh the the lived reality in the long term of black people. But you know, once you try and enter that space, a lot of white yeah. people get discouraged and mm-hmm. start with uh what what people call white tears uh when they they say oh what should i do and they ask black people oh what should i do and then uh, a common retort from black people is it's not my job to explain to you what to do go speak among <laughs> your white folk go 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 work out a plan go work on your privilege so so let's do yeah. it uh, roy gluckman what, how do we how do we use our privilege in a positive way so oh,
0: give this question okay great sure all right let's quickly for a moment talk about white privilege uh, what it is not White privilege is not about how much money you have, how much money your parents have, how much money your great parents have. It is not about that at all. White privilege is about a system, let's talk about South Africa, where that hard work of your grandparents, your great-grandparents and me has been allowed to amount and to grow into something just because you are white white people in South Africa's hard work and could accumulate capital, could buy land, could get loans at the bank, could open businesses. To say that black men have not worked hard for the development of this country is a lie, but that hard work is not allowed to amount to grow and accumulate. So white privilege is not about hard work. It's not about how hard you or your parents work. It's not about money. So what is it about, Nick? It's really about space. It's about the fact that me as a white South African, because remember, my body, when I just walk on the streets in South Africa, the, the label that I'm automatically going to get is educated, privileged, given everything, competent, speaks beautifully, probably went to a saint something or other school, definitely went to UCT, studied, da da da, da, da. Those are all the labels that are going to attach to my body, whether I like it or not. Now, when those labels attach to my body, when I walk into a space, into a store, into an office as an employee, all of these positive labels come with me, and I'm going to be treated a certain way. I'm going to have my voice automatically legitimized, automatically seen as valid, automatically seen as valuable. That is what my privilege is, is that I am always going to be seen as the standard, as somebody that you can trust. Now, we need to understand how deep trust goes, right? Because if you're going to automatically trust me, you know, and we love the conversation in, in, as human beings, you know, trust is earned. It's absolutely not earned. That is a lie. Trust is given, and it's given automatically, and it's given to me because you can trust me. I'm safe. Think about what a black body represents on the street in South Africa, right? And it will change depending on you put them in a suit or you put somebody in a tracksuit pants. Right, So trust is not earned, it is given. So I'm given trust as a white person, and that is what we would call white privilege. And why it is important that white people open up spaces to talk about race, why it is important that men open up spaces to talk about sexism, why it is important that straight people open up spaces to talk about homophobia, is that I am trusted. So I can hold that space. I can say, you know, this is a scary conversation. Come in, let's talk about this. And we are going to do this in a space that is a little bit safe and obviously not uncomfortable because we need that sense of discomfort. But, but here's the thing, right, is that a lot of the reactions, like you said, is, well, what must I do? You know, I was born white. I didn't choose to be white. And, oh, you feel guilty. Blah, blah, blah. And really what we say is that there's no way we can let go of our whiteness or our masculinity or our straightness or, you know, anything of that. So instead of kind of sitting with that guilt, How do we repurpose that privilege? So how do I repurpose the trust that I'm given? So how do I create space for people of color around me in conversations? How do I use the trust that I'm going to be given in a client meeting when the client is just talking to me because, you know, I'm the big boss because he trusts me? How do I open up the space and ask my black colleague a question? And that immediately comes starts shifting the power dynamic? So it's really just about being aware of how much trust I'm given and using that to create more conversations and to kind of hand out, I guess, or endorse trust in others. Roy,
1: no, 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 no. I just wanted to to interject and say, I mean, a lot of people criticize the whole debate around white privilege, but you just have to look at the wage gap to understand, you know, if white people are earning three times more than black Africans on average, there is a problem. But here's my question, right? Yeah question yeah. is how does that not become a fall down a slippery slope of well i'm using my privilege to try and empower black people right and try yeah. and uh, amplify their voices uh, and, yeah. and 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 i don't know try and act as a conduit so to speak but but how do i not fall down a slippery slope of then being accused of well, I mean you you're, you're you're validating black people and va- and and you think that black people will not be able to talk on their own and, and they need you uh, to yeah. to validate them
0: It's an incredibly slippery slope and and there's no right and wrong answers. There's no playbook here, there's no rule book. This is very much something that is a mindful practice when we're coming into spaces how is it that we are doing it and opening it up, you know, respectfully? Because some people be like, some black people be like, or women will be, or gay people be like, I don't need your endorsement, my angels. I'm I'm good. I mean, I don't need you to. And that's fine. I think in those moments, how do we kind of bounce back and we kind of toughen up some of the fragility that we have and say, yeah, okay, cool. In that situation, I don't need it. But, you know, this this often is really just about relationship building. Um, you know, I I think the the other the other thing about privilege is that, and this is the, the the tougher conversation, and that is sometimes it's not just about the behavior and how I behave in the space that I create. It's also really understanding how I also play into the system, how I still benefit from the system, and for us to be careful not to what they would say recenter whiteness in the conversation. Like I am opening up this space and I'm inviting you in because you are worthy. You know, that's sometimes that kind of <laughs> Savior-esque complex. So yeah. it is so tricky, Nick, but it is so necessary. And Indeed. and I think kind of the the last thing on this that I mean Manja, I can talk about this all, for hours. The last thing that I need to say is this, is that shame and guilt, we need to start seeing that as fuel for internal change. You know, when we can start looking at the shame and looking at the guilt. It is motivating, it asks something different of us. And that is so powerful that we need to be doing. That privilege is not about, oh, woe is me. It is actually saying, wow, I have opportunity to create something for other people and I want us to reframe it. So instead of talking about the P word, we can say privilege empowers you. What are you going to do about it? Like that's such a great framing.
1: We, unfortunately, have to leave it at that, Roy. Where can I find out more online? Does Cohesion Collective have a website?
0: Yes, of course. So you can go to CohesionCollective.com and you've got all about us there. And of course, you can follow me on social media, Just Roy Gluckman on LinkedIn as well as Twitter.
1: Roy Gluckman, having very important conversations about diversity and inclusion and using your privilege in the right way.